Hi, this is Alex Romanovich, and welcome to COVID Convo podcast with Dr. Wendy Tong. Hi, Wendy. How are you? Hi, I'm fine. Thank you, Alex. Excellent. Today is May 9th, 2020, and we're going to talk about COVID-19 parties. Yes, you heard it right. People are actually throwing parties, just like those anti-vaxxer folks that are throwing parties, chicken pox parties. Now we have COVID-19 parties. We have incidents in Washington State. We have incidents in New York City. We have incidents all over the country of people throwing parties to reinfect other people deliberately to, um, I guess, to, 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 to get herd immunity or, or to, to get the virus early on and, and, and to get something. And that's what we're going to talk about. Dr. Wendy, what is this all about? Let's talk about this. Yeah, it just blows my mind when I heard this news because it sounds pretty crazy when we're, you know, emphasizing social distancing and quarantine and then people are throwing COVID parties. At at first I thought it was parties to celebrate, you know, the lifting of quarantine, but no, um, the idea comes from chicken pox parties where, you know, before the time we had uh, the chicken pox vaccine introduced, parents who had a child with active chicken pox would invite other uh, children who had never had chicken pox to mingle with their kids. And because chicken pox is so contagious, these kids would catch it. And um, the parents' hopes is that their child would catch it at a young age, recover and develop lifelong immunity to chicken pox. And um, there's also some thinking that because ch- children have a much milder form of chicken pox than adults, then hey, get it over when uh, during childhood so that it's less um, serious of an infection or impactful when, if they were to get it later on in life. Um, of course, you know, it's, it's not uh, behavior, even with chickenpox and what we know about chickenpox, that's, you know, risk-free because there are still the rare cases of children getting chickenpox and developing serious complications and even dying from it. So that's actually how I think the idea of COVID parties came about is, you know, a similar line of thinking as um, chickenpox parties. Very, very interesting and very peculiar, I'll be honest with you. I've heard of chicken pox parties, um, but you, you wouldn't necessarily throw a flu party, for that matter, no, or, no, or no. a herpes party, or, <laughs> yeah, no. or anything else like that. So, so can you really draw a parallel between chicken pox and, and COVID-19? You know, the one thing is that it's like playing Russian roulette in both situations. And... Um, but the thing is, is with chickenpox, we know a lot more about chickenpox than we do about novel COVID-19. Uh, COVID-19 is called novel because it's new. And, you know, this series of podcasts that you and I have been doing, we keep finding out new things about COVID, even in just the one month we've been doing these podcasts. You know, one of the things is that with chickenpox, you, it's very obvious and unmistakable when someone is infected with chickenpox. There's a red rash that declares itself. It's an intensely itchy, blistery rash. You can't ignore it. And that is a really big differentiator from COVID where, you know, the symptoms are really vague. COVID infection can present very differently with different age groups. And there are actually a lot of people who are asymptomatic, which means that Hey, if you attend a COVID party and you don't get symptoms, 
then those people are still, you know, with that mindset of mingling are out there infecting others in the community. You know, this is the very opposite of, you know, why we do social distancing and social quarantine. And we do know that social distancing and quarantine works, you know, see all the countries that now have actually really controlled COVID and that it was because of very strict quarantine and social distancing measures. Um, I think the other thing that's really risky is that we really don't know very much about COVID. So we don't know if a one-time infection and recovery from an infection really confers life on community. And could there be delayed long-term complications that, you know, in our six to seven months of COVID, we don't even know about. So that if you do get infected and you recover, do, are there complications that present themselves two or three or 10 years down the line? We have no idea. So it's very dangerous participating in this behavior. It's taking on a lot of risk and unknown risk. Well, we know that a lot of young people are known to take risks or more risks than, let's say, the, uh, the elderly, obviously. Uh, is this primarily younger generation type of phenomenon? It seems to be so. Um, and I think, you know, um, like you said, you know, younger people have more of that sense of maybe immortality, this doesn't affect me, um, kind of mentality and that risk-taking behavior. Um, and, uh, you know, in one of our earlier podcasts, we talked about how COVID can present um, with an entirely different presentation as in our elderly who usually present with fever and upper respiratory symptoms. You know, young people um, really aren't as attuned to the risks of these, and they are the ones attending these COVID parties. Very interesting. Very interesting. Um, now, the chicken pox party, I mean, actually heard of them, but I'm not sure how active those chicken pox um, uh, parties are. Are they still a common phenomenon or is this something that's kind of uh, not there anymore? Yeah, they fall into the wayside. And that was really because the chicken, chicken pox vaccine became available and the vaccination is much safer and much more effective in protecting against chickenpox. It's not 100%. There are still some cases here and there where people have um, uh, received the vaccine and do, you know, get infected. But usually it's still, even if they um, do get infected, it's a much milder form of it. So, you know, also learning from the chickenpox experience, you know, if people really want to have that, um, gosh, immunity to COVID, I really recommend let's wait for the vaccine. And even then, you know, when we do have a vaccine created and available, um, I, I would just uh, extend a word of caution, and that is about any new vaccine that hasn't been used long enough to figure out any possible side effects or long-term side effects or complications is just to be aware of that. And we also don't know if this COVID vaccine will confer lifelong immunity like the chickenpox vaccine or if it'll just be like a seasonal vaccine, like the flu vaccine. Um, I think uh, there's really not much known about, you know, um, vaccine. We know that, you know, a lot of researchers are working on a COVID vaccine. Um, as to how that COVID vaccine is administered and how effective it is and how long the immunity from the vaccine, we still don't know that since, since we don't have a vaccine yet. So, you know, by the same parallel, if you will, if you draw a parallel here, 
I recently tested positive for COVID-19 and I have now, I've learned a couple of days ago that I have the antibodies. So uh, I'm not sure if that means that I have immunity for the rest of my life. Should I be throwing uh, antibodies parties as well by the same uh, <laughs> parallel? Sell and your inviting, And inviting all of my COVID positive, inviting all my COVID positive friends uh, who tested and have the antibodies as well. I mean, are we going to be safe? What do you think? Yeah. You know, um, it probably is safe for right now. If all of you have the IgG antibodies, which are the ones that confer more longer term um, immunity, you know, and just mingle with your with your kind. However, you know, I don't know how long these IgG antibodies um, are going to confer that immunity on you. Um, really, nobody knows. But what we can do is look at historic data. Um, we have the SARS experience. SARS was also, um, uh, it also belongs to the coronavirus family. And um, so uh, we had the SARS experience in 2002. And um, there's a study that followed healthcare workers in China who had actually developed the antibodies, the IgG antibodies. And the study tracked these healthcare workers for 13 years. The study found that their antibody levels peaked around two to three years out from the infection and then followed a downward slope, declined, and then only persisted up to 12 years. Um, you know, I think the best, is, best answer I can provide at this point, you know, is if we look at that SARS experience with that strain of coronavirus, um, it's most likely that you know, something similar could apply to COVID-19, but we don't know for sure. We're just still learning. So uh, thank you, Dr. Wendy Tong. Um, I think it's a very interesting topic. One thing I will say is that, look, folks, uh, we're all impatient right now. Uh, you know, the summer is coming up. Everybody wants to go to the park. Everybody wants to go to the beach. Continue to practice safe distancing uh, rules. Continue to uh, maybe walk in the park, but uh, you know, utilize the distancing and utilize the masks, utilize all of the protective gear that is so important. And you know, with enough caution, with enough precautions, uh, it's possible to have a social experience. It's absolutely possible to do so. Maybe not a full-blown party of 100 people or 50 people, where everybody's breathing and, and, and uh, sneezing on it at everybody else, but something that is gradual, something that is a gradual type of a phenomenon. Wouldn't you agree, Dr. Wendy? I completely agree, Alex. Thank you so much for being with us today. Great topic, very important topic. Let's continue to talk and let's continue to cover um, via COVID uh, convo. Thank you Thanks so much. Thank you for having me.